0: The Enviro Show with Nancy Richards. The Enviro Show, it is a very green show here on SAFM. I'm Nancy Richards, and I'm here together with Albert Claassen this evening and together with you, and what a sad story to hear on the news about the closure of the Arch Soup Kitchen at St. George's Cathedral. I have to say, especially in this freezing cold weather here in Cape Town, when just two homeless people have died in the in Cape Town this uh, last couple of days. So very, very sad bit of news there. Maybe something will happen and it will be reinstated. Who knows? Give us your thoughts on that one. But if you want to give us some thoughts on what we've got on the show tonight, you're most welcome. The number to call us on is 0892 102010. 0892 2010 and we'll throw on contact details if you want to send us an email you can we're at enviro at safm.co.za and if you'd like to send us a message via our facebook page or even just like it it's the enviro show on safm so there you go no reason why you shouldn't be able to get in touch What we've got on the show tonight first up michelle knights our aspirant cosmologist is going to be closing our cosmo girl series tonight with thoughts on the big bang and then after that, uh, we're slightly more down-to-earth thoughts with Elma Hunter and Florentina Khadebe on VUCA's energy-saving scheme, and that's uh, down in the Southern Cape in Stanford. And then after that, a little bit of glamour. Ashanti Mbanga has just been crowned Miss Earth, so we'll find out what won her title and really what she plans to do with it. After that, Spongiseni Lolwana is a bit of a power generator too. I met her just the other day at a breakfast. Wow, what a a lady. She's the founder and managing director of Beehive's Agri-Media and Development Programme. And she's just about to launch her 99-day, 99-minute Make a Green Change campaign. So look forward to hearing more details on that. And a close, promising you women all the way. Also freshly opened at Kirstenbosch is the Botanical Art Biennale and we're going to be talking to the curator, Nikki Westcott. So that's what we've got lined up for the Enviro Show tonight. Do stay with us right now. If you love your sport, join me, Brad Brown, every Saturday and Sunday afternoon for SAFM Sports Special. Right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader.
1: Twenty-one years ago, Johannesburg had an irresistible urge to build a stage and invite the whole world to perform on it. Do you remember your first Arts Alive? Johannesburg Arts Alive 2013 is full of surprises packed with trusted regulars from theatre and dance to spoken word and music. Arts Alive International Festival is brought to you by the city of Johannesburg, stitching together a more integrated city. And is part of the City's 21 Years of
0: Artsalife celebration. For more information, go to artsalife.co.za. SABC is looking for a network marketing and on-air manager. The incumbent would be responsible for developing and implementing marketing strategies that will retain and increase audience market share and be able to identify marketing opportunities and partnerships. So if your passion is in strategy, then this position is for you. Applicants must have a marketing degree or a BTEC equivalent and a five to seven years' experience at a television station or network or even advertising agency. Specialising in consumer marketing or brand. Verbal and written communication skills are a must. Kindly send your application, including a comprehensive CV, to the Human Resources Manager at tvjobs at sabc.co.za. Closing date, 30th of August, 2013. The Enviro Show. First up here on the Enviro show tonight Firstly, thanks very much for your mails and messages Those who've uh, got in touch to say how much they've enjoyed our Cosmo Girl Michelle Knight series And tonight she brings us the very last in the series And it's on the Big Bang Well, I spoke to her earlier and wasn't quite sure where to begin
2: Uh, I guess the place that that I like to start is by claiming that I am a time traveller And in fact, time travel is really quite easy All you have to do is look up That's the first most important thing to realize is about the history of the universe is that we can actually watch it unfolding. Because the thing is, light travels at a finite speed. It takes a certain amount of time for light to get from one place to the other. Now, light's really fast. In fact, it would only take one second for light to go eight times around the Earth. But that's still a finite amount of time. So when we look at the stars, for example, just the stars in our galaxy, some of them are so far away, it actually takes thousands of years for the light to get to us. Some of the stars you look up at night could actually be dead. They could have exploded, but you wouldn't know that because, the, you know, it's still taking a thousand years to get to you. Now we can look at galaxies, and some of them are millions of what we call light years away. Light would take millions of years to get to us. So that we, we t- if we tune our telescopes to look at fainter and fainter objects, we're actually looking back in time. Mm. So all we have to do is create these really incredible instruments and analyze the data, and we can just look at the history of the universe, which is amazing, so we can actually see it evolving. Now, the thing is that we get to a point Uh, You look back and you look, 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 you pick a direction in space and you keep looking, you go far, far back, but you get to a point where you can't look back anymore. This is what we call, it kind of makes the surface around, because it doesn't matter which direction you look, you get to a point you can't go beyond that, because beyond that is the Big Bang. So, let's talk about the Big Bang. Some years ago, I can't remember how long ago, but there were two competing theories of the universe. The one is the Big Bang, and the other one is the so-called steady state Now the steady state theory said that the universe was infinite, it had always existed, it will always exist. And the Big Bang said no, that the universe started at some point, it has evolved to the state that it is in now. One of the best, some of the best evidence for the Big Bang is the fact that space is expanding. This is quite a profound thing and it's relatively simple if you think about it. If you imagine you had a balloon and you drew some dots on the balloon and you blew up the balloon, what would happen? Well, all the dots would move away from each other, because, not because the dots are actually moving, but because the balloon itself is getting bigger. So that's this amazing thing, that space itself is expanding. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, and this was just, Edwin Hubble discovered this in the 20s. Uh, he realized that all the galaxies were moving away from us. And basically every galaxy seems to be moving away from every other one just because space is expanding. Now, if the universe is busy expanding, if you kind of play the clock backwards, that means that it must have at one point been much closer together, been much smaller as it were. And this is the point called the Big Bang. Something happened, started off the Big Bang, and suddenly there was space and there was time and it stretched and got bigger and bigger and bigger and we eventually ended up where we are today. It's quite an amazing and profound concept, but all our evidence suggests that 13.7 or 13.8 billion years ago, there was this big bang.
0: And the question is, something happened. What happened? And I said, is that is that the big question?
2: That That is a really big question, and it's a really hard question to answer. So I'll mention uh, what I think was Hawking's answer, which is maybe unsatisfactory. But the thing is that's really profound is, the Big Bang was the beginning of space. There wasn't any, anything else we don't think anywhere. That, that's, we think that space began at the Big Bang, but so did time. So asking the question of what came before the Big Bang is kind of nonsensical. It's like saying, what's more north than the North Pole? Well, you know, there's nothing. <laughs> but yeah, okay, that's a little bit unsatisfactory. <laughs> I don't think there is a really satisfactory answer in science and it's also very difficult to imagine how we would get a really satisfactory answer. We can probe with particle accelerators, we can create the kind of conditions that happened just moments after the Big Bang, so the first few instants of the universe, and we can push it further and further back, but to get to that actual point when the universe began it's very difficult to imagine how you would probe that and how you would actually answer that question. But going back to where we
0: began this series, that going back to the SKA once again, you know, I love the idea that we we can see further and further back and back and back in time, which is extraordinary in itself. So, given when the SKA is up and running, we're going to be able to see. Are we going to be able to see the Big Bang ever?
2: Yeah, unfortunately not. You see. Actually, there's a caveat to that. So I mentioned this, this sort of surface that surrounds us, that you look back and you get to this point where you can't look back anymore. Now, I, I kind of brushed over it, but the reason for that, that's actually only a few hundred thousand years after the Big Bang. Before that, the universe was so hot and so full of this stuff moving and jiggling around, it actually trapped light and and was was not transparent. The universe was opaque. So it got to this point when it finally cooled down enough, because as it expanded, it cooled down. It finally cooled down enough that it could release the light and became transparent. So we can't get any light from beyond that point. We just can't. Now, there is this one really interesting thing called gravitational waves, which is, a, I've mentioned before, and it's a really fascinating concept. And that is that uh, there are these ripples in space. We think there are. Einstein predicted these ripples in space caused by all kinds of things, interesting events, that they're very small, they're very hard to detect. But the SKA could, with this, what we call a network of pulsars, could detect these gravitational waves. The interesting thing is gravitational waves don't have this problem of getting stuck at the surface. So we can't, lights can't come to us from beyond that surface. But gravitational waves could. Gravitational waves from f- as far back as the beginning, potentially. So, although with, with better telescopes, we can't directly ever look at the Big Bang, we can't ever get there, but maybe with gravitational waves, we could get really close.
0: It seems to me like you fall into the Big Bang Theory um, category. It seems to be the way you're going. I'm just wondering then what argument there is for the steady state uh, believers. <sighs> to
2: be honest, the steady state theory is dead. Okay. Really, I mean, it's you know, there's yes, no that. real scientist that would say that they they believe steady state, and the reason is actually this the surface that I keep mentioning, this point where before that everything was so hot you couldn't get any light from before that point. Now, when that surface was detected, when we call it's called the CMB, the cosmic microwave background, this background radiation you get no matter where you are. And it, it's, it's actually a really great story um, how it was detected. It was detected completely by accident, as many great things in science are, by a couple of engineers called, uh, their names were Penzias and Wilson. And uh, they had this antenna and they were supposed to be looking at, it was telecommunications type stuff. But they kept getting this hiss in this particular frequency range. And it didn't matter where they pointed in the sky, they kept getting this hiss. And they, they were a bunch of pigeons and they thought, well, there might be what they called this uh, white dielectric material <laughs> on the surface of the dish, which was in fact the p- pigeon poo. But it was not that. It was this microwave background radiation. And once this was discovered, these guys won a Nobel Prize for the discovery. Once this was discovered, that hit the nail in the coffin for the steady state theory because it could not explain where this radiation could come from. But the Big Bang Theory exactly predicted it. So because we know about this background radiation and we have detected it and we've studied it in exquisite detail, the surface beyond which light cannot escape, because we know this exists, we believe very strongly in the Big Bang Theory. Just whilst we're talking
0: of beliefs, and this is a little (laughs) bit about the outside of the orbit that we've been discussing, but. You know, there is a lot of doubting Thomases out there. I mean, we're all a bit of a doubting Thomas. And what we can see, and what we are going to be able to see in the future, is extraordinary. But it does make you wonder, you know, where where one's belief system fits into all this. How does all knowing all this affect your belief system into a, a higher being? You know, where does it, where does your sort of spiritual belief fall into this?
2: Well, that's a good question. It's certainly something that I, I get asked a lot. And my my personal belief is that religion and and belief systems are actually trying to answer a different question to what science is trying to answer. Science cares about how. Yeah, we care about how. We care about what. We care about what's going on. How is this evolving? How does this work? How did the Big Bang work? But religion and beliefs care about why. And to my mind, those are two very different things. And they, they don't need to compete on any level to me. Certainly there are some things like um, in in certain ancient texts, if if, if you take them absolutely literally word for word you might run into problems when you start bringing in the science. But in terms of a belief system, a higher power, uh, you know, many of the the very common things that underpin, uh, underpin most religions, my personal feeling is that science and religion can fit together quite comfortably, that they don't need to be at odds.
0: Well, there you go. I have to say, she certainly made me think, and I hope you've enjoyed that series with Michelle Knights. And don't forget, if there's anything that you've liked or would like more of or less of here on the Enviro Show, do let us know. You can pop us a mail at enviro at safm.co.za. And a very big thank you to young Michelle there for her enthusiasm on on the cosmos. Well, coming back down to Earth in these very chill winter days, we heard recently about a scheme in Stanford called VUCA in which Elma Hunter and Florentina Hadebe have been bringing some bright economical energy ideas to the people. First I spoke to Elma.
3: The objective of this project is to demonstrate practical, do-it-yourself, energy-saving ideas to people uh, with no-income or low-income households. We show people how to make fireballs or energy balls out of newspaper and grated candle or sawdust. These are people who don't have access to wood. Uh, In Stanford we do have access to wood, um, and we show people to use um, rocket stoves to cook on, made of bricks, or we can manage to do recycled bucks or drums. Um, Also using wood, very thin twigs, and 75% less wood than you would with cooking with wood in in a normal um, outdoor fire. From that cooking process one goes to using um, the heat retention method putting a pot that's been boiled up putting it into blankets wrapping it up in blankets newspapers
0: oh like a sort of wonder bag
3: the wonder wonder bag bag. Mm -hmm. yes we don't show wonder bags to begin with because we want to show people they've got all they need in their home without having to buy anything those are the main energy saving things that we show the uh, rocket stoves, there's a variety of those, and we tailor it to suit the people that we are working with.
0: It sounds like somebody's been extremely inventive. When you talk about we, who is we? <laughs>
3: uh, well, it's mainly um, myself with access to the internet, and then Florentina, who has been working alongside me trying these and using them herself and being convinced and as passionate as I am that people can save money um, in amazing ways um, once they know the technology. This is the problem that people who have very little education don't have access to these ideas. And once we show them, it's very interesting because people don't just suddenly change their ways, the cooking habits and the way of thinking um, has to be an ongoing follow-up process. We have established in Stanford a information hub where all these technologies would be on display and on a regular basis a demonstration on cooking uh, using these processes would be given and people would come and find out and come back again when things don't work properly
0: it sounds like then it's a bit of an all-woman team but i just want to probe a little bit more about you and the internet elma i mean is it just you trawling the internet i mean you, you must know have you got any sort of engineering or scientific background at all
3: well i did science in matric and i also did a year of science at university so i do have a lot of knowledge in a way and an interest, you know, and surfing the net and finding these energy-saving ideas is quite exciting,
0: in fact. <laughs> yes, and and when it's a case of needs must, I suppose. Yes. Florentina, what about you? What, what sort of background have you got, scientifically speaking? Uh,
4: I have no idea so much in, in science hmm. except that through the experiences that I've been shown by Elma, I learned a lot. I am a teacher by profession and uh, I worked for the direct selling companies then I'm not fearing to talk to the public. Therefore to me it's an enjoyment to demonstrate these products that we have.
0: Yes, and if you're a teacher that would automatically give you um, the facility to be able to put concepts across. Tell me a little bit about the some of the some of the items, the fireballs, the rocket stove. Just describe them as you see them, and as you explain them.
4: As we make these fire poles with the candle wax, then we we just uh, save the wood for the people who cannot collect and gather the bundles of wood. It's easier to make their personal wood by using the these fire poles. You just put a one, I mean two, for cooking five cups of water.
0: Okay, two fireballs will cook you up. Yes, we cook five five cups of water. Just explain, though, I I really want to get to the, the technology of this. So a fireball, you need grated candle and you need wood. Okay, these fireballs, when you make,
4: you take the newspapers, you take a dish of water, ordinary water, a basin, and then you put the paper in the water, you spread it on a flat surface, and then you take the grated candle and you spread all over the newspaper, the wet newspaper, and then you start folding that newspaper, starting from a corner to another corner. Then, again, you take from another corner to another corner, then squeeze it. While you squeeze it, the little water comes out, especially when it's a candle, or it's a candle fireball, because uh, for the soda fireball, it at least absorbs some of the water. But for the candle one, because it works, then it uses some water. Then you squeeze it tight and make it round. And then on a hot day, you put it outside where it will be dry so that you can use it then when cooking.
0: Okay, gosh, that's a really nifty little idea. So you can use not necessarily whole candles, but stubs of candles. So you can... It's not much
4: because you don't have to pour much on the paper surface. You just uh, for a one candle, you can make about ten fireballs.
0: And the rocket stove?
4: And then the rocket stove. What we like with the rocket stove, the fire goes direct to the pot. You just put a few twigs, and then that those twigs when they're starting burning, your fire just goes. Direct to the pot. There's no wind to let it swave outside of the pot or outside the pot. No, then your pot cooks so quickly. Also, with the fire poles, you can put the fire poles even if if it's those that made of wax or candle wax or even dust, You can cook with those. Just open a little yeah. bit of uh, the paper with your fire pole, and then put in the stove.
0: Then it cooks. They're very, very simple techniques, as you say. But, you know, Elma was saying there that it's about introducing them to the people. Sometimes it takes a little while. What is the response when you come along and say, look, try this fireball? What do people say? Yes, people
4: do need
0: to follow up. But when we get to them, they get so
4: excited. They organize for us to come and demonstrate to certain places again or to their neighborhood and others want us to come to their own homes and sometimes we find that is too much for us then we, that is why we decided to have the information what up for them to come again and again even if we uh, some point want to introduce a friend to this new system of saving energy then can come and they listen and ask questions some of the people ask, "Hey, does this not depend the port how does the port get uh, ripe when cooked in the box, then we explained that as long as you keep the steam of the pot and you don't open the lid, Then that hot steam and those newspapers and blankets, they will keep the pot boiling
3: till it's right. That would be in a wonder box.
4: Yes. Yes, Yes.
3: a
0: So you talk about the hub there, which is in Stanford. But I think at one time, you know, Florentina, what you were saying was that you used to be able to go to people who were in more rural areas who were a little bit isolated. You two would be able to go out there and demonstrate I
4: think even in the rural areas, there are clinics now. If there can be hubs next to the places, public places like clinics and also next to community hall, I mean, those hubs can work a lot. But I think really there should be people demonstrating there and there should be time stated for demonstrations so that people can exactly know on such day at this time there's a demonstration then they can bring the other people to listen to, uh, and get the information.
0: Yeah, I think you've started sort of what you call cooking clubs, so that people can get together and, and learn how it's done. We
3: did, um, Nancy, if I can just say, we we did um, go with my vehicle, which I called the mobile demonstration unit, because we could pile all our equipment in there, and Florentina and I would go off, to various places. We have been on occasions to farms in the area as a mobile <laughs> demo unit. Mm. So it's very, very uh, portable, quite fun to do that. Yeah,
0: you've also got the website which on which people yes. can see exactly how it works. Have you uh, considered patenting all these ideas? No, not really. Um, you know, it's a very much a philanthropic
3: operation. We actually operate without funding, Um, because it doesn't really cost so much to do it um, except that now that it's growing um, we realise that the presenters need to be funded and um, we know that they can't do it for nothing. We have on occasions got lump sums of money which has helped to pay the stipends for the presenters but we certainly haven't got any funding
0: on a regular basis. Yeah, it would be and nice to get a bit of input from a newspaper company, perhaps, or a candle-making yes. company to perhaps sponsor it. But, Florentina, just lastly, uh, safety. Uh, you know, because fire is, uh, you know, especially in wintertime, fire can be a huge hazard in informal areas. Do you, do you work on that as well, a lot of issues around that?
4: Oh, thanks so much for that issue. You know, it saves a lot of uh, shirt painting, this uh, method of using this... Uh, this uh, vulgar energy saving system of using wonderbox. because the people mostly they like cooking especially on weekends when they are relaxed or they visit their friends they cook the pots and then they forget to switch off the stoves and sometimes times things like meat which is fat you find that when overcooked it burns and then the check burns or even those paraffin stoves. You know, the paraffin stove, sometimes somebody knock, uh, knock against yeah. it and it falls, it falls and then it bends the shake. Now, with the method we are using of cooking with the Wanda you just cook and just uh, sacrifice just a few minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, depending to the type of food you are cooking. Then after that hour, if the, if, if something like which takes about two and a half hours to cook. You boil it for one and one hour. Then from there, you wrap it in your wonder box. You leave it there. It cooks on its own. There's no fire burning of the shake or what, whatever. By the time you open your pot, you come from where you come, you find that the pot is right to be used, to be dished up. And then... Even the pot, it hasn't burned any crust at the bottom there. Just have to dish all your food without any waste. It saves burning of the shacks. It saves burning of the food at the bottom of the pot. It's so good.
0: People like it so much. Yes. And very lastly, Elma, I mean, it makes good economic sense, but it also makes good environmental sense. I mean, mm. you don't have to be in impoverished situations to be wanting to save energy. I mean, That's you right. call it VUCA energy savings, but it's it's also saving on fossil fuels. It's, mm. It can save all round.
3: Yes, and you save your own time as well, because right now I have my chicken curry uh, cooking in my wonder box. And I made it at lunchtime, so whatever time I'm ready to eat it this evening, I have what I call is an eco drawer in my kitchen, where I have the Wonder box, and um, it's very really neatly put into the drawer and closed, and there it is. <laughs>
0: Well, there you go, two ladies keeping it real in Stanford. That was Elma Hunter and Florentina Hadebe, and they're talking about the VUCA Energy Savings. I've actually put the link up on our Facebook page if you want to go and have a little squiz there. It's the Enviro Show on SAFM. Otherwise, check it out. It's VUCAEnergySavings.co.za. Don't you just love those fireballs? So. Well, next we're going from uh, grassroots to glamour because just the other day, Ashanti Mbanga was crowned the brand new Miss Earth South Africa 2013. So she's actually a transport economics student from UJ. So how did she get to win the title, A? And B, what does she plan to do with it? Well, we've got her on the line to explain herself. Hi, Ashanti evening, Nancy. Lovely green to have you DJ with us. Yes, green greetings indeed. And uh, Ashanti, lovely, congratulations. It's really wonderful that you've got this title and you've declared that it's been one of the proudest moments of your life. But what I want to know is how did you get it? Did you have to apply? Did you put yourself forward? What did you do? Oh, well, firstly, thank you.
5: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I um, saw an article about Cameron Jardine and she was last year's winner and uh, her success and all the work that she had done Uh, through the program, and it really just inspired me to open myself up to the learning opportunity. So, yes, you do apply, and then after that, we get cut down in numbers, various stages, and we go through an intense leadership program whereby we attend workshops covering different environmental affairs. And after that, when we're equipped with the knowledge and leadership skills, we're then given an opportunity to go out into communities whereby we um, plant trees with organic reliance, compost, and Garnier, and um, just to promote greenery and uh, uh, carbon neutru- neutrality, excuse me. Um, we also work on energy efficiency projects with SNEDI, just teaching our future generations how to, to serve, um, uh, save energy, and how to be energy efficient uh, so that they can make conscious environmental uh, decisions. We do glass recycling assemblies and bean planting projects with Consol. And it's just been an amazing learning opportunity where we, we go out into communities and, and create a sustainable difference. And then final judging involved a panel of 14 judges whereby we were interviewed and had to just share our journey and our passion. And I think I, I must have stood out in that process in order for me to, to have this platform and opportunity today.
0: Clearly you did, hey. But it sounds like some pretty fast-track learning there, uh, you know, all the things that you had to do before. But when you applied, what did you bring to the table environmentally? Have you, have you been working on projects yourself?
5: I have. Actually, as a transport economics student, one of my focuses has been promoting sustainable um, uh, ways of fueling transport modes. And that's something I'd like to learn more about mm. and look into. And um, I'm actually leading by example because Imperial Toyota has sponsored me with a hybrid, which is an energy efficiency car that I drive. It's uh, half um, energy and half fuel. So it's just different ideas on how we can alleviate the adverse effects that we have on the environment.
0: I thought you were going to say that you actually use a bicycle. That would have been ultimately environmentally friendly.
5: Actually, we should get bicycle lanes (laughs) in South Africa. That's a phenomenal idea. That's something else I would like
0: to push forward. Well, it's happening. It's certainly happening here in Cape Town. They've just brought out a a bicycle map for Cape Town, which is very exciting. I have heard.
5: I have heard about that, and it's great. I hope other provinces will follow yeah,
0: I mean, it would, it would be a good thing all round, really. But, uh, Shanti, transport modes, you know, somebody was talking to somebody about transport a while ago, and she said the biggest problem is that we spend all this money on building fabulous new roads for people who've already got cars. But the real problem are all the millions of people who don't have cars and who are struggling to get to work or get around. You know, so it's a... It's a disconnect there somewhere, isn't it? It's, it?
5: No, it is true. You know, I agree with you, Nancy. I mean, before I, I got my hybrid, I was a captive user of public transport. So. I know very well how, how, uh, what a challenge it is to get around our country, and uh, one of the things that I think and I believe that South Africa should focus on is getting people out of their cars and into transport modes and into public transport modes, excuse me. So if we can look at ways of, of making efficient, you know safe transport systems for people to use, then we can definitely overcome that challenge.
0: I suppose the thing about green is it's all about doing something, about taking responsibility, putting something back. That's sort of the expectation, I suppose. Your plan then is what? I mean, you know, the title, you're you're an ambassador, I suppose, of sorts as well. But what will you do, do you do? Is your job really to, you know, explain how it is or how it could be to other people or, or to do it yourself?
5: You know, definitely. I mean, we, we learn from our educational workshops and then we go out into communities and impart it into future generations. We attend seminars and sustainability expos whereby we get to engage with uh, corporates as well where we can, uh, you know, teach them ways of being carbon neutral in industry. Um, so it's both leading by example and teaching others to, to also make decisions that um, have the, you know, the environment's best interest at heart. And uh, two of my focuses this year are going to be water cooperation, because water is one of South Africa's most critical resources. And with our population growing, it means demand is growing. So it's important that we teach people how to use water wisely. And secondly, I also think um, energy efficiency is very important. So we, we carry out um, educational programs at the schools and different communities that we work with. And uh, just teaching the kids how to save electricity and and to look to uh, renewable sources of energy now. Yeah.
0: I don't know if you heard Elma Hunter and Florentina Khadebe, I was talking to them earlier. They've got a, uh, a campaign going down in Stanford there, and they call it VUCA. And yes. they are making these fireballs out of newspaper and, and uh, grated candle and making rocket stoves. And, uh, you know, it's such simple, unbelievably simple ideas. And sometimes the yes. simplest is best. But what, what, in your view, are the big issues? I mean, energy efficiency there and water cooperation Water and energy are, are big ones, but what do you think of the big guilty party? Is it the fact that we are We take so much for granted. What do you think is the real problem that we face?
5: I think one of the problems that stand out for me is our dependency on coal um, You know not only does South Africa use coal to supply you know energy or electricity for our country but we we also export coal to other countries so if we could just focus on alternatives, you know, to, to just sort of balance the amount of coal that we're using so that we don't eventually run out of resources, I think that'll be great. So our dependency on coal is, is a concern on my part.
0: Once you have finally got your transport economics degree under, under your belt, what do you plan to do with it?
5: Um uh, the Department of Roads and Transport is uh, my birth responses, so I will be interning for them in government, and I just with that, I hope to influence you know decision makers in government to to make decisions that have less of an adverse effect mm. on our environment, because yeah. I've learned so much yeah and as far as the environment is concerned.
0: Well, Ashanti Mbanga, Miss Earth SA twenty thirteen. Congratulations, lovely, and I hope Thank that you, me, I yes, hope please. that you put the word out there big time because it's it's a responsibility that you've got, and I'm, I'm sure you'll handle it really well.
5: Lovely. Yes, definitely, I look forward to doing just that.
0: Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That's uh, that's Ashanti and bunga. Well, if you'd like to know a little bit more about the the uh, the uh, what do you call it uh, pageant, I suppose. It's uh check the website, put that up on our Facebook too in fact. It's missearthsa.co.za if you want to find out more. Missearthsa.co.za and that was Ashanti and bunga. Is the Miss Earth for 2013. Well, Next up we have I did promise you an all female lineup and next up we have another She's a winner, I have to say this, in as much as she's really busy achieving exactly what it is that she wanted to do with her life as opposed to doing what she studied to do. She's Spongiseni Lolwana and she's the founder and managing director of Beehive's agri-media development program. And she is just about to launch her 99-day, 99-minute, 99-seconds, whatever, make a green change campaign. But we've got her on the line. Hi, Spongiseni, how are you? Good evening, Nancy. I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm excellent. It was really interesting to hear you speak the other day. We were at the um, South African Black Economic Forum breakfast and it was really interesting to hear you speak. What I loved what you said was that I think you'd studied psychology or working in research and you decided just you were going to give that all up and do what you really, really wanted to do. What was it that you really, really wanted to do?
1: Well, as a young person growing in a township like Kailicha um, where the, uh, the area is polluted by poverty, the only thing that comes to your mind is to try and bring about change. Mm. So for me it was, um, it was more of uh, a way of trying to find a way of making a change. And, um, um, well, I gave that to the uh, Beehives Agrimedia and Development Programme, along with my partner, Nat nena, and um, um, along the way we decided to um, give birth to the campaign which is called the 99 days, 99 minutes, make a green change, which is more of a tool uh, to create jobs and uh, to open more business opportunities for people around the area and around the the country. Um, Yeah.
0: How will it work?
1: Uh, well, um, the beehive is more of uh, it's it's designed to serve as a platform of communication and development for sustainable farming, but also as a as a as a as a, as a media company, we ha- we are creative communicators, and we use the media um, to 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 communicate um, the companies that we are working with as well as the program, which is more about creating jobs for the people.
0: The sustainable farming bit is now—is that something that you, you know, interesting phrase you used right at the beginning there? That in Kailicha, it's polluted by poverty. Do you see sustainable farming as being something that can happen within an area like Kailicha, or?
1: Well, our our program is designed to cover the whole of the country, but we're just piloting it in the province. So we work with emerging farmers from around um, uh, areas such as. Club Caledon, Kailicha, Philippi, Mamre, and all the other areas around the province. So, yeah, the school is quite bigger. And, um, yes, it it, it is a high potential of working because it is more of an industry where um, you you only find um, a a certain um, group of people where um, you have less women and less young people.
0: Sustainable farming is, it will be then small-scale farming, looking to grow food for the people themselves or to get to markets? Well,
1: basically the program is designed to, uh, to be an enabler um, which seeks to elevate emerging farmers to a level of commercial farmers uh, by using the existing programs uh, from both the public and the private sector um, such as is um, access to land, easy access to um, um, technical support, and all the other programs. So basically, um, having campaigns such as the 99 days, 99 minutes, is more of an element um, that um, that gives the people the, the another window, you know, of opening mm-hmm. their, their their wings in terms of um, creating jobs and business opportunities for the people.
0: So is the idea to identify sort of sustainable and small emerging farmers that already exist or to encourage new ones? And if, if it's to encourage new ones, how do you do that?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's a bit of both. Um, uh, we, um, the, the slogan says diversifying the face of the farmer in South Africa. Mm. So we're looking at um, bringing more women, bringing more young people. And um, uh, we use, um, as mentioned earlier, different mediums such as the motion magazine, the hard copy magazine, which is going to be more of a bi monthly magazine, a web portal, which is like your magazine online, and what we call the quarterly exonetric events, which is more of a fiscally interactive platform for sustainable farming. So, with those different mediums, we have uh, more than confidence in, 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 in terms of uh, ensuring that this really works for the
4: people
0: and is it starting to work with the people are people getting to recognize you notice it come to you know come to come to work with you as well?
1: Yes um, we have uh, the number is growing every day we have uh, currently plus minus 300 emerging farmers and when we, when we talk about uh, subscribers we not only talking emerging farmers, but we are also talking um, other farmers, like commercial farmers, both um, black and white, irrespective of the business level. Uh, we are also talking about agri-entrepreneurs, uh, people who are more interested in um, other you know, sub-sectors within the agricultural industry. If I could mention it, um, a few, um, there's a gentleman who's currently doing uh, large ice spinach bread who would like to get a farm to grow his own spinach bread. Um, We also have a young gentleman who's also a graduate um, who who is interested in finding land to do in meal farming. Hmm. You also have um, young uh, warriors um, who are in horticulture and landscaping. So it's quite a variety of fields, really. But we're just trying to, you know, make agriculture a trend so that we can, um, you know, create jobs for the people. And also... Um, systematically um, introduce the environmental issues surrounding the whole industry.
0: Yes, yes, I I like the idea of making agriculture a trend. I suppose the word I was looking at is sort of making it a little bit more sexy because you mentioned young people there, and for a lot of young people, the last thing in the world they want to do is become a farmer, but you're you're putting a whole different complexion on the farming business. But I just want to come back to the 99-day, 99-minute Make a Green Change campaign. The objective is what? Well, uh,
1: the 99 days, uh, 99 minutes, Make a Green Change campaign is more of an initiative that is um, self-explanatory. Basically, the campaign is about encouraging uh, the nation at large to make a green change within the the period of 99 days. Um, It is more of um, a campaign which intends uh, not only to encourage people on doing activities around the agriculture, but also, env- you know, deal with environmental issues, social and educational activities, amongst uh, amongst others. So, by doing such activities, you are basically contributing to the um, the 99-mega-green change. And also, um, we encourage people to remember that we are still Um, a developing country and it is um, through such initiatives that we will develop and and create jobs for the people
0: So give me an example of what a person could do in a hundred days to make a real difference
1: Well we would like to, we have um, a a Facebook page which is um, www.facebook.com forward slash 99 campaign where we We would like people to um, post uh, videos or upload their video clips uh, as well as um, video um, uh, pics, you know, supporting gardens around the townships, supporting projects, um, and other entrepreneurs who are more interested in in, in, in environmental-related issues. Um, As a result, we have, People now, commercial farmers, are coming forward with their farms, you know, supporting groups of uh, women who are unemployed, like a group of 19 women from Langa, mm-hmm. um, who have gotten the opportunity to work in a farm which is located in St. Lawrence Pass. Okay. Uh, now we have um, engaged with the Department of Agriculture provincial level um, to, to help those women growing seedlings in in that particular farm um, so that they can be able to put something um, in, sorry, they can be able to to feed their families. Um, So we think it is working in such a way because now um, we've had an agreement with the Department of Agriculture that the seedlings that these women will be growing will be bought by the Department, um, and the Department will sell it to the larger community of commercial farmers around the province.
0: Gosh, you really are a, a sort of hub of, I can hear that there are lots of things that are, you've got your hands on and you're bringing them all together. I, you know, I'm really lost in admiration because it's a huge thing to do and and I wish you every success. So probably best if we direct people to your Facebook page then. Yes, um, our
1: website on. will be launched um, tomorrow. Oh, okay. And um, our Facebook page is, um, as mentioned earlier, www.facebook.com. Forward slash ninety nine campaign, or otherwise you can go to www.facebook.com um, forward um, slash Beehives Magazine.
0: Um, okay. Yes, because I and found I I actually battled to find the ninety nine campaign. I got Beehives ninety nine day ninety nine minute make a green change, and that was where I found you on Facebook. Absolutely, but, but give me your give me your website, which is going to be launched tomorrow. Very exciting, and it's what
1: um the website is um sorry um it's the triple w yeah um dot um beehives yeah sorry triple w yeah okay no i've got it wrong sorry beehives okay. agrimedia at be, uh, sorry beehives agrimedia yeah uh, dot
0: beehives Plural, agrimedia.co.za. That's
1: right, Nancy.
0: Brilliant. Very, very best of luck, Spongi Seni. Thank you very much, and uh, and I'm sure we'll meet again. Thank you. Take
1: care.
0: Thank you very much, Nancy. There you go. It's uh, Spongi Seni and she's certainly doing great things there and uh, doing exactly what she feels she wants to do. And if you'd like to find out more, the website's going to be launched tomorrow. It's www.beehivesagrimedia. .co.za, beehives, AgriMedia.co.za. Anything you've missed, just pop us an email. It's enviro at safm.co.za. Well, finally talking of things that are hot of the press in our green goodie feature tonight we're looking at the Kirstenbosch Biennale of Botanical Art which opened just a few hours ago and uh, so I think we've probably got one very delighted curator on the on the line knowing that it's now up and running she's Nikki Westcott hi Nikki hello Nancy how did the how did the opening go it went really well oh good yes. good so tell us this is your biennale and i obviously you've had quite a number but the theme this year i think is very specific
6: The theme this year is on um, medicinal and traditional use plants. And um, the comment of one of the senior botanists at Kirsten Bosch, who collaborated on it, was that this has been the first African herbal ever. (laughs) Hmm. So, I mean, a herbal, as you know, is is, is a collection of um, documented work about the medicinal plants of an area. Um, And there has been an absolutely huge collection of work tonight and of a very, very high standard. It's been really wonderful.
0: It is a wonderful thing because, you know, very often one imagines uh, botanical art to be uh, very Victorian, one of those things that people did way back in the day when they were going off on ships finding all these sort of species and it was, you know, it was sort of delicate and then you sort of imagine very genteel ladies doing yes. it. But this is bringing <laughs> it right back here to South Africa in the 21st century.
6: Yes, well I must say we, we, we do have a little genteel section. Which, um, because it's (laughs) Kirsten Bosch's centenary year, we have included a historical, uh, I mean, there is a historical dimension to it. So there is a collection of some of these genteel lady artists in the 19th century. And um, their work is so delicate and beautiful. Well, that's
0: appropriate, as you say, given it's your centenary year. So, the African Herbal, this this collection, this body of work, yes. is it purely for beautiful purposes, or is it this in some way beneficial? I mean, might this, might all the works be put together in a book? Well, there is a catalogue,
6: okay. uh, luckily. But what does need to be documented, and, and I, I think it will be done, is um, all the work that um, was was done by the botanists at Kirstenbosch and, um, and others, who um, and particularly Alice Notten at Kirstenbosch, who, who did the labelling, and, and therefore much research on the medicinal uses of each of the plants painted.
0: Hmm. The artists themselves, were yes. they at liberty to choose any particular medicinal plant that they liked, and do they have to go and find it in the wild, in the felt at Kirstenbosch? Or how do they get the species from which to work?
6: Well, yes, they, they, they do find them in the wild. And Kirstenbosch and other botanical gardens around the country facilitate as well. They often have find um, specimens for the artist to paint. But one of the things that characterises botanical art is that artists must draw from real life and their paintings are life-sized. So, um, in fact, on the exhibition, there's this absolutely enormous, ferox, which is quite magnificent. <laughs> wow. And, um, yes, all the, all the work is life-sized.
0: So they, I mean, given that there's, um, you know, people are quite officious about you, you're not allowed to pick certain things in, in certain places, do they go and sit out in the, in the cold and the wet and, and draw from life? Or are yes, they... they do. And, okay. I mean, they,
6: they have to know, for example, when flowers, um, when a plant flowers, some of these plants flower for very short um, yes. times. It can even just be a night, and uh, there they are, glued to their desks. You know, um, drawing.
0: Gosh, so th- so this is really very authentic. I mean, there's no yes. sort of quickly taking a quick pic on your cell phone and going back to your no. nice warm studio and doing it there.
6: <laughs> no, and honestly, I mean, the, the 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 good artists don't paint from from photographs. Mm.
0: Well, there are a lot of rules that apart, you know, actually working from the real thing. That apart, are there rules about which bits of plant you have to paint and which you don't?
6: Not for an exhibition like this. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly for, for scientific illustrations that are required for publication purposes, there might be very stringent requirements, you know, particularly about the reproductive organs of a plant. Um, but for an exhibition like this, no. But they, they do have to be botanically very accurate, and they are.
0: And the exhibition, I think, itself is on for how long? I and mean, we we're talking about your uh, Kirstenbosch centenary. Is it going to be on for some time? I mean, can people rush to see it now? Or? <laughs> well, it's
6: on until the 15th of December. Okay. I mean, sorry, of September. So it's not on for long. It's only on for two weeks. And um, there is quite a bit of um, the Kaiskama Art Project is um, at the Biennale again. And they have combined this year with the Kuru Art Project from Botswana. And um, they've done various joint. Um, well, they, they they they've made some tapestries together, and they've also um, done some wonderful uh, etchings, hmm. and um, some very lovely planted. Uh, I mean, they 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 basically made works out of wire and fabric um, of all sorts of medicinal species. It's, they're absolutely enchanting works.
0: Wow, it sounds quite it sounds quite magical. It seems a pity that such an exhibition, that's required so, such a huge amount of work and energy from so many people, is only on for a couple of weeks. Will it be moving around to other botanical gardens?
6: You know, we would love it too, but, um, so what happens to, but certainly there it? isn't money for this. Hmm. Well, we certainly haven't managed to locate it, but um, it would be absolutely wonderful if some. Wealthy banker was listening and decided that um, that might be a good idea.
0: Wealthy bankers, tune in. (laughs) Give us a call. Um, Just lastly, Nikki, I I can't resist asking you this. I know that there's, uh, under construction at Kirstenbosch, is the treetop canopy walkway. Yes, is, is it nearly is it nearly up and running, or can we can we no, walk it? No, not yet,
6: but I'm, I'm sure there there will be a, a great flurry of publicity once it's uh, almost ready to be walked upon. Yeah,
0: that sounds like a really exciting project. Looking forward to Robin, that one. Yeah. And just lastly, uh, there's also the Silver Tree restoration project. Yes, uh, that's also something that's uh, underway at the moment.
6: Well, Kirstenbosch is really um, a buzz with all sorts of things going on. I think and after, it's always a great pleasure to be there, isn't
0: and it? And I think after the end of this year, I think everybody's going to sigh a huge a huge sigh of relief <laughs> because I think there's been an enormous amount of work. So that's the, the by, Orl, by Biennale of, of Botanical Art, and that's only on until the 15th of September.
6: Yes, and I should have mentioned, um, yeah. Nancy, one other thing, is that there are a couple of slideshows. Okay. One um, by Tony Dold, who's based in Grahamstown. And it's on the context in which medicinal plants are um, consumed. And it's it's based on um, the Eastern Cape. And okay. there's also a closer language version of this oh. um, show. And then there's also one which is a brief history of botanical art in South Africa.
0: Well, it's it's a bit so, of a, a, a must-see if you have an interest in botany yes. and in art. Is there a website, perhaps?
6: Um, there is a website, which is www.sambi.org.za. Yeah. Um, Super. And then you go to the um, the, uh, the event, and Biennale is under there.
0: Excellent, Nikki. Take a well-deserved break. Thank, Thank you, very you very much. much. Thanks, Thanks for sharing, Nikki Thank Westcott. You. She is the curator of the Biennale of Botanical Art there at Kirstenbosch. Only on until September the fifteenth, so get there soon if you're able to. www.sanby.org.za And if there's anything you miss, contact us at, uh, enviro at safm.co.za. Thanks very much, Albert Claassen. I'm Nancy Richards.